Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary practice issues. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP, and its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Hi, this is Daniel Koba, the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP. Thanks for joining us for this episode of AJHP Voices. Since the 1980s, Long-term acute care hospitals have provided specialized and often extended care for people who require more complex care than can be provided in a skilled nursing facility. Over the last 20 years, there's been a 50% increase in the post-acute care needs of hospitalized adults. Joining me today are Dr. Niaz Dehim and Dr. Anita Sani to discuss their AJHP case study that describes establishment of a long-term acute care hospital that is co-located within Houston Methodist Hospital. Niaz, Anita, welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Very nice being here, Daniel. Thank you for having us. Niaz, can you start by actually defining what it means to be a a long-term acute care hospital? Of course. A long-term acute care hospital, or LTAC, is a healthcare facility that provides specialized and extended inpatient care. Patients who are discharged from an acute care or intensive care unit and then transferred to an LTAC are also those that can be in need of greater care that would otherwise be provided by a skilled nursing facility or SNF, inpatient rehabilitation facility, or home health agency. And Anita, I I mentioned in the introduction that LTACs were established back in the 1980s. Why were they developed in the 80s? And has the patient population changed since then? Looking back in the 1980s, our LTAC model was really highlighted for those respiratory care needs, specifically for the patients who are chronically ill, mechanically ventilated, and whose length of stay was really extending beyond the mean duration for those diagnosis-related groups that they would have in the hospital setting. So over this last two decades, the need has really increased in our patient population, especially with their elderly, emphasizing the need for our LTAC services. And when you look at our current population, we really have patients whose medical cases are pretty high in acuity. The majority are transplant, very high infection needs, long-term antibiotics, very complex wound care. So kind of... Expanding the umbrella of LTAC needs for our more advanced and complicated patient cases. Got it. And at Houston Methodist, there was a decision to establish a co-located facility. Niaz, what drove that decision? What are the benefits of a co-located model? That's a great question. And historically, most LTACs have been freestanding healthcare facilities, but there's definitely been that increased trend over the past several years towards a co-located LTAC, or also known as a hospital within a hospital model. The co-located LTAC model increases access to this high level of care for more patients nationwide, um, also given a disproportionate distribution of LTACs in the United States. But really what they're able to offer is just an overall solution for the management of patient throughput within a health system with providing optimized bed capacity at the host hospital, increased revenue under a prospective payment system, and reduced readmission rates. But really going back into the patient, it's really able to help offer that continuity of care from the host hospital to the LTAC. 
So within the co-located facility or the hospital within a hospital, there are options in terms of service models, aren't there, Anita, if I understood that correctly from your article? Correct. With our article, we mentioned the service models that we have located within our LTAC here at Houston Methodist. It is independently organized, both from structural and financial aspects from the host hospital. However, our co-located LTAC does include shared resources from the host hospital just to allow for efficiency and due to the limited physical space capacity. In those shared resources, this includes the ancillary departments, such as our dietary or security, as well as our pharmacy services that we provide. But despite just sharing these resources, our co-located LTAC is subjected to regulatory requirements from that of the host hospital. And this includes the hospital and pharmacy licensing, which is something that we make sure that we are on with regulation. With our co-located LTAC, this is owned by the same health system and outsourced to an external organization. Our pharmacy services is co-located within the LTAC, and that also presents its own unique challenges with the regulatory requirements and pharmacy services as well. So what are some of those issues in terms of, you've mentioned regulatory a couple of times, Anita. What are some of the key considerations from a a regulatory perspective, licensure, accreditation? What are the issues that need to be addressed? I think that's a burning question that we'd all have, Daniel, um, regarding having an LTAG or especially co-located facility. So the first step goes back into what CMS advises and going back into checking out what are the key requirements that they're mandating so that way everyone is in line with planning such a facility. And there was finalized guidance published by CMS in November 2021. First step being, of course, hospitals may be co-located if the hospital remains in independent compliance with the CMS Medicare conditions of participation for acute care hospitals. And also one important aspect for consideration is that the licensure of a co-located LTAC is also contingent upon the condition that the institution itself can independently function as a hospital with its own staff and resources. Now, going back into the pharmacy aspect of this, there may be um, some state considerations that a co-located LTAC may also be required to apply to the State Board of Pharmacy for a separate pharmacy license, independent of the host hospital's pharmacy license. And that's something that's certainly key to the planning efforts. So it's really key for health systems that are interested in having a co-located LTAC reach out to their state board of pharmacy for advice and guidance on what are some key considerations that should be mandated for this. Of course, this can honestly be such a gray area that I think it's a it's a working progress together to identify what would that quite look like for a co-located facility. And of course, other key considerations go back into the accreditation of the organization in itself. And that's something that CMS offers some guidance on. But what's really unique in this model is that anything that is shared space between a co-located hospital and then also the host hospital can actually be a shared finding between the two, which is a bit unique in itself. And so that's something that is, of course, very important for the host hospital and the co-located hospital to navigate together as any inspection or survey of one might inadvertently affect the other, especially if there's some type of contracted services going on between the two. So at the end of the day, what's the best advice that you would give to listeners who are maybe 
going to embark upon this journey within their own health systems of possibly establishing a hospital within a hospital. What's the best advice that you would give them in terms of navigating the regulatory and accreditation environments? First step is, of course, having those planning meetings early on. Um, having a co-located hospital is, of course, a huge benefit to both institutions. But having those planning meetings and that transparency early on amongst not only farms team members, but executive hospital leadership and interdisciplinary team members can really be key to the success of this. So, of course, reaching out to the State Board of Pharmacy for their guidance and advice for what chapters or roles that they would be looking at in particular whenever their surveyors come on site for a visit. Those are really key in the planning efforts and being able to incorporate that into, let's say, a scope of services policy that would help very clearly delineate what is the co-located hospital and also what are the contracted services offering in terms of this. And that can be really key, honestly, to ensuring the successful efforts between the two um, because it's such a gray area in itself. And I think reaching out and understanding what are the needs and, and identifying what can you do to make that's clear as possible for any other accreditation organization or regulatory agency coming on site to do an inspection. Did you have a particular partner within Houston Methodist who served to help you really review the regs and understood, you know, was able to guide you in terms of both the CMS regs as well as regs from the Texas Board of Pharmacy? Was there a specific department that served as your partner on that? Yes. So we're very fortunate to have a system director over regulatory compliance in pharmacy that was instrumental in all of managing all these different conversations and also reaching out to the accreditation organizations with understanding a bit more in detail what are they looking for and how can we always at all times ensure that we're in compliance. So you started off when we started to talk about this, Niaz, about those initial planning meetings. And maybe I want to take a step back a bit. I got out a little bit ahead here, but what was the initial approach by Houston Methodist in terms of the establishment of an LTAC and the provision of pharmacy services? How did this get started and what were some of your initial steps? I believe this conversation has been taking place for some time pre-COVID, actually. And it's something that I think uh, as a growing multi-hospital health system, there's always the need and there's always opportunity of what can we do to better ensure the continuity of care of our patients between our facilities? Because, of course, what's next? And that's something that I think is always important to consider for patient care efforts. And so with that being said, of course, a number of our patients going on to LTAC facilities potentially outside of the Methodist system, there is an, an opportunity to see what could we do to have this as part of a co-located facility. Now, to preface, one of our hospitals in our multi-hospital health system is in actuality an LTAC, and that guidance was instrumental in being able to set up the co-located LTAC because, in a sense, they are mirrors of each other. But the key difference between the two is not only the physical location, but also ensuring that we have that contracted services model where one department of pharmacy under one pharmacy license in the state offers services to another pharmacy license. Anita, when you look at the pharmacy services are provided, why don't we start with the staffing model? What does that look like? Our staffing model is very unique. We have a pretty hybrid model in how we have 
our operations and clinical services aligned, just starting off with how we do our day-to-day basis per our CMS uh, requirements for anyone who is performing LTAC operations, they cannot at the same time be working for our host hospital. So it is a strictly LTAC services if you're being billed for LTAC performance for that day. In the case of our host hospital, we have incorporated LTAC needs into the host hospital operation aspect, but if it is strictly LTAC, it is not vice versa that they can be performing for our host hospital. Within our staffing model, we do have a pharmacist in charge for our host hospital that's overseeing our licensure as well as our control medications and our inventory. In addition, we have one clinical pharmacist uh, FTE, which is incorporated into our workflow. And then after hours, this is when we really rely on our host hospital to ensure that 24-7 continuing care and coverage model. And in terms of clinical services, you you mentioned one clinical pharmacist, FTE. What are the clinical services that are provided? Whenever we get a new admission, discharge, or a clinical pharmacist is reviewing all of those charts, ensuring adequate orders are coming through, just because every time they come to an LTAC, that is basically a new admission encounter. So a complete new set of orders and making sure that order uh, mistakes are taken care of and everything is basically passed on to the LTAC floor with no issues is one of our major priorities that we participate in on a daily basis. Reviewing charts, reviewing for any medication errors, ensuring that our drug utilization is correctly as well as medication management is performed. In addition, our clinical pharmacists do participate in drug monitoring. We have a huge array of consults that our pharmacy department provides for our patients to really ensure that our patients are safe and as well as medications are appropriate and are clinically safe for the patient. And in addition to that, we do play a huge part in discharge processing as well, doing teachings for patients, doing any issues with medications for at discharge, as well as any common drug information questions that may come up throughout the day from the staff. And Niaz, what's the distributive services model? What does that look like? Essentially, what a distributive services model will look like in a co-located entity really occurs in a matter very similar to that for other hospital units within the host hospital for consistency and assurance of 24-7 unit coverage. So in, in essence, really, there should be no differences how one unit is treated versus another. And so with that being said, there's a lot of IT components, but one, of course, being that medication order should be routed to current verification queues managed by the host hospital department of pharmacy to really best integrate with workflow processes during all shifts. And in addition to that, the preparation, labeling, distribution, documentation, and delivery of medications should likewise align with all regular departmental policies, processes, and procedures. In addition to, of course, it's important to have automated medication dispensing cabinets on the co-located LTAC unit just to have that very accessible form of medication distribution for the nurses. And that should likewise be part of weekly review processes for inventory optimization because at the end of the day, you want this unit or this facility to be as independent as possible. And of course, all of these medications can potentially include controlled substances and others to ensure medication readiness and to promote self-sufficiency at all times. So 
With that in mind, I, and maybe I actually just want to clarify something first. So Anita talked a few moments ago about a dedicated one FTE clinical pharmacist who's dedicated to the LTAC. But then, Niaz, you were talking about the fact that order verification occurs through the standard processes at Houston Methodist. So am I getting this right? Uh, the orders are being verified by a pharmacist, possibly in a central pharmacy, and the the clinical pharmacist is on the unit providing clinical services in a hybrid type model. Is, is that what's happening there? That is exactly correct, Daniel. And that's something that can honestly be challenging at first to, to really identify, okay, so our clinical pharmacist, it has to be dedicated to the LTAC in that sense, whenever the clinical pharmacy is aligned with the LTAC as far as CMS billing and charging goes. But all other services, since it is a contracted service, it is okay to come from the host hospital. But with that being said, it's, it's essentially going back into you don't want to treat this unit differently. You want to ensure that there's a standard of care maintained at all times. But the host hospital can provide care for the LTAC patients 24-7 with separate uh, billing and charging, of course, but anything related to the LTAC in itself has to be aligned with our pharmacist FTE specific to the LTAC. So I think as Anita had mentioned or, or to echo alongside what she said earlier, the clinical pharmacist for the LTAC is only for the LTAC, but operation services can be both from the host hospital providing care to the co-located facility, but it has to be billed accordingly. Got it. And you had made reference as you were as you were talking about some of the different aspects of the distributive services. You made reference to controlled substances. What's required for the LTAC in terms of DEA licensure and the overall management of controlled substances? Of course, the first step in this is reaching out to the State Board of Pharmacy to identify, are there any rules and procedures that would help govern some of the questions regarding controlled substance distribution? And for us, we're a bit unique that in our state of Texas, there is a set limit for how much one hospital can sell to the other. When we talk about controlled substances, we talk about selling when it gets down to different pharmacy licenses, at least in our state. And once that threshold is exceeded, then of course it goes back into a question of do we need to have our own C2Save or our own uh, distribution method for our controlled substances in order to meet the growing needs for these patients. It gets a bit tricky when you think about the DEA in addition to wanting to maintain compliance 100% of the time. And so I, I think it goes back into understanding what your model will look like in a co-located facility and what do the projections look like as far as controlled substances distribution and usage? And is there anything that needs to be supplemented by the health system to, in order to ensure that that happens? And again, it goes back into what can we do to make this a seamless process as much as possible to ensure uninterrupted care for our patients? So at times that can actually involve a new, you know, um, new, to, new C2Safe, new vault, and going back into the processes in order to ensure um, what would that look like at your facility? Really, Overlaying all of this is some type of IT infrastructure, correct? Uh, what needs to be considered from an IT perspective and, and how do you handle that at Houston Methodist? 
I think what we've come to learn is that, you know, in all cases, IT is our best friend. And of course, early collaboration and planning is really a theme of what we've learned in our planning processes for the LTAP. So of course, one of the first steps that our IT team was able to help achieve is building out a new EMR department under the name of the host hospital and then route that so that all pharmacy related items, such as in our case, medication verifications and basket messages, pharmacy consults and interventions and so forth, route back to the host hospital. So there's a lot of interfacing that, that really goes on with that. And in our EMR system, EPIC, all outbound interfaces were translated into the facility destination of our host hospital instead of the co-located facility to really integrate with our host hospital's pharmacy processes and workflow. And that can also be in reference to some of our preparations, such as for TPNs, for those to be transmitted to an outsourced registered 503A regional compounding facility. And Anita, what quality standards does CMS require you to meet? With our LTAC, we did have CMS compliance that we had to comply with during a specific time period from each admission and discharge for our patients. This goes back to the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act of 2010, where there was a section 3004A that had the specific qualifications for LTAC QRP reporting. This is very important, specifically from a reimbursement standpoint and making sure compliance is appropriate and done in a timely manner so that funds and reimbursement is done and adequate for each admission and discharge for the patients. With this instead, for our pharmacy aspect, every admission and discharge that I get to the floor, I do reconciliations and discharge reconciliations to make sure that there's no medication errors and transmissions for each encounter coming in and leaving the floor. And in that, we do have very high alert medications that are needed for review. In those medications, there are certain medication classes that are considered high risk, such as your antiplatelets, anticoagulation, your insulin products, antibiotics, and opioid usage that the pharmacist will review the orders that the patient has on the charts and making sure if it's appropriate for indication and appropriate for a patient to be taking as prescribed. So with all of those checks and balances in place with the regulation aspect, those forms are completed and those are submitted to CMS as our quality and reporting aspect from the pharmacy side. As I listen to both of you talk about the establishment of an LTAC, as laid out in your article, it's complex. And I imagine, tell me if I if I getting this wrong, but I imagine that somebody tapped each of you on the shoulder and asked you to get involved. And I guess my question is, as we get ready to wrap up, is what advice would you give to that pharmacy leader who, or a clinician or manager, whatever role they might be in, who gets tapped on the shoulder and asked to lead the implementation of a hospital within a hospital in their facility. What are maybe the top three pieces of advice that you'd give them? Anita, let me start with you. Top advice is I would say, for sure, this was a very complex process that we rolled out, but looking in hindsight, it's wonderful to see how it played out. And a lot of it goes to the one thing I would say is planning. Planning was huge. This started a couple of years back in process of talking about it, but really planning and having those coordinations with the appropriate team members really was 
instrumental on making sure that processes were in place for when rollout was needed. The second thing that I would say is ensuring that you have adequate coverage and some kind of plan in place for how you will utilize your resources and making sure that something's always covered, which is what we really highlighted with our distributed process, our coverage model, and our article. So all that kind of is a little sub umbrella to planning, but making sure coverage is in place is the second thing. And then the last thing I would say is be expected for any hiccups that may come across. We were very fortunate that everything really came out well. Whenever there was issues with our processes, we were very quick to respond on how to fix it so that we wouldn't incur with this again over and over again. So knowing that you may have a process in place, but being ready to reinvent the wheel or tweak it a little bit if you need to, to ensure an even smoother transition moving forward. Niaz, what would you add to that? I think wanting to first echo again, back to planning. Of course, I know I think COVID taught all of us to expect the unexpected, but plan early, engage your subject matter experts and all other interdisciplinary team members that would be vital to the success of a co-located LTAC. That's really key in, in ensuring that it's able to have a successful launch and go live and then seeing it grow and flourish over the next several years afterwards. I think one of the other pieces of advice is, of course, as mentioned earlier, is to reach out to the accreditation organizations, the state boards of pharmacy, find out what are they looking at? Do they have advice and guidance? Is there another hospital that potentially could be mirrored? Reach out to them. There's really, honestly, there's nothing better to, to identify what has been successful at other institutions and what can you do to really keep in mind as you're going through all the planning processes and efforts. And with that being said, of course, engaging your subject matter experts with medication safety and quality and regulatory affairs, seeing from their perspective, what are some key considerations to have? Because not only is this a new hospital, it's a new unit. And of course, there's a lot of training that occurs with this, not only, of course, within your department, but within all the departments. And what can you do really? to make it a seamless process as possible? What do you learn along the way together? And what advice, of course, as we're imparting during our call today, what advice can you impart to other institutions that would be interested in having this model as well? It's, it's very, very, very rewarding at the end to be able to see it all come together. And we're fortunate to have had such an innovative leadership team that's really thinking into the next you know, 5, 10, 20 years ahead to see what can we really do to maintain patient care at the highest level and also ensuring that we're truly leading medicine in all aspects and all phases of care. And with that, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Niaz Dehim and Dr. Anita Sani for joining us today to discuss their article, A Hospital Within a Hospital, an Innovative Pharmacy Model to Improve the Continuum of Care, which was recently published on HHP.org. Please join us here each month for discussions on contemporary pharmacy practice issues and interviews with HHP authors. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and via your social media of choice. Anita, Niaz, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, it's our pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to AJHP Voices. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit AJHP.org.